heard you sing. And yet the Lord said, put James up there. And I'm like, okay, God, you got this, right? <laughs> and you made everybody cry. You made them all cry. They cry when I talk about when you sing. I'm like, remember James saying, yeah, remember us. I mean, they just break down. It was beautiful, right? Taylor and, and, and Jake's and everybody that spoke and Elaine spoke and all the kids, the kids were coming up and, and it was just awesome. And it was so barely planned. And yet it was destined to be, wasn't it? It was meant to be. The things that happened on that Sunday, the people that were there, they knew that what was happening was supposed to happen. Now here's my question for you. Are you supposed to be here today? Now some of you are here out of habit because this is where you come on Sundays. Some of you are here out of chance because you wandered in and this is the assembly of God that somebody you know goes to or you know you heard from a friend. And, and so the question is, are you supposed to be here today? Is this destiny? Does it mean something that you're here? Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians has been on my heart for some time. I know we're going to still be taking a break from the series we were on before December happened. December, December was a very, very off-kilter month for us. We'll start in verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of, Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and, of, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple stuff. He's just saying hello. One of the things you notice about me probably by this point is I really like Old Testament stories and getting into the Old Testament and digging into it. And, and I think the reason for that is that the New Testament's too easy, right? Like in the Old Testament, you read a story and sometimes you're just looking at it like, Lord, why did you leave that in the Bible? Shouldn't you have edited that out, God? You should have just marked over that. So you have to do a little interpretation. You have to take it in light of the New Testament. You have to understand how God was revealing himself over time. In the New Testament, it's not like that at all. In the New Testament, it's very spelled out. In fact, a lot of times when I'm teaching out of the New Testament or preaching out of the New Testament, I almost feel like I'm just stealing Paul's sermon because he basically was sending a letter around to the churches to be read out loud. So I'm actually just taking someone else's material and expounding on it, right? It's a different sort of way to preach. There are no types and shadows here. We're going to head to verse 14. It's 1230. If I get to verse 14 by 10 till, we're good, right? That gives me how many minutes of verse? Uh, who cares? <laughs> so let's go to verse 3. Blessed be, God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And let's stop right there. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Did you know that if you are a Christian, that if you have received Christ into your heart, that if you have begun a walk with Jesus, that you should be otherworldly? You should feel like you don't quite belong where you're at. You should feel like something is amiss, that you're not quite home yet, but you're on a journey to get there. There should be something supernatural about somebody who has come to know Christ. I'm always worried when someone says they come to know Christ and there's no change on this side to this side because that means that maybe we missed something there, you know? And, and listen, it doesn't mean it has to be tearful, right? But it does mean it has to be sincere, and when you honestly begin to walk with Christ, there should be a change. You know that whole thing where we do AC, AD, and BC, and now they say, you know, current era and, and uh, before current era, you know, and they, they kind of mix it up, but they still use Christ's appearance on earth as the dividing line of all time. And in our lives, there should be a dividing line of all time that was before Christ and that was after Christ. 
Now, for some of us that were raised in church, that's a little harder to find, but there should be a point at which your walk became your own. For me, even though I was saved while I was still in my parents' house, it was really in the military when I had this sudden revelation that if I didn't go to church, no one cared, right? That all of a sudden I realized no, one, no one's going to look up Sunday and say, hey, I wonder where David's at today. He's not at church. I was alone in a place where I had never lived, where nobody knew me, and yet I knew that still in this place I would follow Christ and my walk truly became my own. Verse 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We were chosen before the world began. I heard a lot this week about how bad 2016 was for celebrity deaths, and, and probably politics, I think, played a big part in that. And apparently there was a gorilla killed at some point. I'm hearing this, right? The world feels like stuff just happens to it, right? It feels like it's, it's living in that, that thing where things just kind of happen to it. Coincidence just sort of overwhelms them, that, that what's going on isn't something that had any purpose behind it. It's just life being life, and there's no purpose to it, that life just happens to them, that all these collections of calamities and earthquakes and wars and violence and all the things that we see in the world and refugee crises and all these things, they just, they just happen. But you know, nothing just happens to a believer, does it? I mean, Mona, right? Wasn't it you that said that this week? You, as soon as I leave town, Mona has a heart attack. She's like, pastor's gone, I can have a heart attack now, right? It's a good time for it. Um, we were all on vacation. She just took hers in a hospital. And I'm pretty sure you were in the same room Tina was in a few months before you. I didn't think about that till this morning. But even in that, right? Even in the hospital bed, even with the, you know, poking and prodding and doing all the stuff they do to you there, God used you in that place. I used to work a secular job. I was bivocational. And one thing I knew was that when people had things go wrong that I would have to go consult, that almost always there was somebody there who needed to know something about Christ. And it was the only way that God was going to get a minister across their path was to send me there. And they would just think things happened, you know, this system just broke, or we just needed more help with this, or we needed a consultant to come in. But I knew in my heart that somebody there needed the Lord, and I just kept the radar up until I had that moment to figure out who that was that needed to hear from God. Nothing just happens to God's people. Nothing just happens to God's people. Because what does verse 4 say? It says that we, that we should... Um, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In verse 5 it says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do you know what the difference between an adopted child and a natural child is? There's a lot more purpose than an adopted child, isn't there? Right? I love my kids, Hunter, Tristan, I don't see Gareth, so just you two are great. Um, the other one, you know, he has his moments. He's probably helping out with children. Yeah. But we didn't know what we were getting, did we? We just hoped for the best. Turns out they're the best kids in the world. Um, more, I know, more beautiful than everyone else's kids. That's how I felt, right? That's how. But you know, when you adopt somebody, you choose that person. You choose them in a very specific way. See, my mom has adopted six children, right? And they're my, they're my brothers and sisters, but they're more my nieces and nephews. But they were chosen for adoption. God chose you. There was no mystery in what he was doing when he picked you to know you. Did you know that? 
And you know what's really important? This is just kind of a funny thing, but I remember when they were foster kids, and my dad told me I'm not allowed to spank them because they're foster kids, but once we adopt them, I can spank them. Because they were, they were acting up. They were ornery. Let me tell you, if anybody's raised foster kids, you know there's a certain line you have to get across before you can take them to a restaurant, right? Because a lot of them coming out of bad situations, never, never been in any sort of, you know, sit down and act like a polite person, right? And there was a long time where you couldn't go out to eat anywhere with them except fast food. And even then, you know, you felt bad for whoever came behind, right? But there was a point at which you could take them out in public. But let me tell you something about that. Did you know that only your legal parent can discipline you? Do you know many people will let other people speak into their lives or say critical things about them, or they'll hear the voice of the enemy, and they'll take that as truth. They'll even feel sometimes when they fail, like they deserve to fail, or like they deserve to be punished, and it's not God who's punishing them. They're letting somebody else punish them. That's not the Lord. And do you know only the Lord has the right to move your heart to conviction and to say to you that what you've done is wrong and you need to repent. And yet so many times... I, I got this image as I was preparing this, that, and that's why I can't get off of this. I want to move to the next verse, but I, but I don't feel like I've made the point yet, and, and I need to say this because somebody needs to hear this, that you're beating yourself up over things that God has not given you permission to beat yourself up over. Did you know that? That there are people who are beating themselves up over things that they've done in their past or the way their life has gone, and you're not the person whose job that is. And then if the Holy Spirit convicts you of that, then get on your face before God and repent of it and put it in His hands. But once He's forgiven you, leave that there. If you keep going back and beating yourself up over it, do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I don't trust you to forgive me. I don't believe that you've forgiven me. I don't feel forgiven. And so we keep going back and, and letting ourselves get beat up by the same thing over and over again, something that actually has no right to still be in our lives except that we give it that place that it doesn't deserve. Verse 6 says, To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us, blessed us in the Beloved. This is where we take it and we say that he's, he's like, we're the beloved like in the Song of Solomon, the beloved. Did you know that love seeks an object of devotion, a person on who to lavish himself? Now, the reason I say this is because if you're a big theology nerd, like of course I am, and, and now with Jake in the office, I can, you know, throw theology things at him all the time to torture him with because he's here, right? You have to listen. Um, that one of the things John Calvin said was that everything that God does, God does for his praise and his glory. And I like the sound of that, that everything God does is for his praise and his glory. But, you know, I, I just have this thought that that's not why God does everything that he does. I have this thought that God does what he does because God is love. And what is love if it doesn't have a beloved? What is love if it doesn't have something to put the object of its love on? What would it matter that I was just the best husband in the world and didn't have Kristen, right? I am the best husband in the world, but I have Kristen and it works out. I'm kidding. I'll be punished for that later. <laughs> but love seeks an object on which to lavish its affection. God created you not just for his glory. He did create you for his glory. He did create you for his praise. But he also created you because he wanted someone to pour his love out on. Do you realize that? That you were literally made to be loved. You were literally created to be loved by God. That when he put you together, and I, I keep going back to these words. I know I keep doing that. That yada where I knew you. God says in Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you and I'm forming you. And he knew in advance what he wanted you to be. And when he created you, he created you to receive his love. Do you know when you haven't 
learned. <laughs> Did you know that you can be bad at being loved? Some people are terrible at it. God bless them. Every time somebody wants to do something nice for them, they can't receive it. Or every time somebody gets in too close, they get past that little, the little boundaries they've set up. All of a sudden, they react in a certain way because they don't know what to do with that. It's like when you hear the stories of the children of war who were never touched you know, for the first few years of their lives to the point that when someone would come up and touch them, the child would scream because they didn't know what it was like to be touched. When I was a little kid, we had um, cats. We had feral cats that lived in the woods near our house. And they had these kittens. And kittens are adorable, aren't they? Love kittens. I, I wanted to play with them. I'm, I'm 11 years old. I don't know anything about feral cats. I see a little kitten walking along. Usually they run from me, but this one didn't see me. So I'm going to grab them and pick them up and pet them. Right? What do you think happened? Anybody know, anybody know anything about cats? That, right. That cat wasn't used to being handled, was it? And as soon as I picked that cat up, it freaked out on me. I was like, whoa, you know? Right? Do you know we respond to love a lot of times that way because the only thing we know of being loved involves being hurt or it involves pain or involves disappointment to the point where when someone tries to love us, when the love of God tries to pour into our life, we don't know how to receive it anymore. And all of a sudden we act out and we lash out and we treat others badly and we do things to keep people at arm's length because we don't know how to be loved by God. And we were created to be loved by God. And if you don't know how, then you live this life of frustration of desperation, of wondering why it hasn't turned out. And it's because you don't know how to let God love you. You don't know how to let anybody love you. We're bad at that sometimes. And we're bad at that because we've been shown bad ways to be loved, haven't we? We've been loved by humans who let us down because guess what? They're people. And to understand a perfect God who loves us perfectly, unselfishly, always for our good, always on our behalf is so foreign to us that when it reaches out to us sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Where are we on? Verse 7. This, and this leads right into that. That's good that Paul wrote that like that in the Bible, right? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespassers, trespasses according to the richness of his grace. You cannot have love without forgiveness. Amen? You cannot have love without forgiveness. Right? You can't love anybody unless you decide in your heart that you're going to forgive them. Let me tell you something. If you're married, I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. Your husband or wife is going to do something that's going to require forgiveness probably before the day's over. Right? Maybe before church is over. Right? <laughs> Maybe before the end of this next sentence, they're elbowing you or something, and one of them's getting mad, or you know. You can't have love without choosing forgiveness first. Do you know, in the body of Christ, we cannot love one another unless we first determine in our hearts that the people that we sit beside are worthy of our forgiveness, and then we're going to give it out, not sparingly, not just to the people that are deserving of it, not just to the people that should have it, but to everybody. Everybody who's your brother and sister in Christ, in this church, in the body of Christ, deserves your unmerited forgiveness. And you have to decide in your heart that if you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, that you're going to have to forgive people who are not going to earn your forgiveness. I will tell you right now, there are jerks among us. Did you know that? You know, some days it's me. 
Some days, you know, and I know I do this too, and, I, and I, I usually pick up on it, but I don't always that I get, you know, my head somewhere else, or I'm thinking about this, or I'm thinking about that, and someone's trying to talk to me, and I'm just in a hurry to do, and so I cut the conversation short, or I try to move to the next thing, not because I'm, I'm mad or anything, but just because that's, I was thinking about when I'm putting the pictures together, right? What if I don't get someone? You know, Gloria, I had one picture of you, and that was in the background of the VBS, and I was looking for that one. I found it. But I was worried, what if I don't put enough pictures of this person or that person? Or what if someone thinks, you know, well, I don't appreciate what they did because I didn't, you know, and all these sorts of ways in which I can offend somebody not meaning to, right? But if you as a congregation don't decide to, just, to forgive me even when I don't deserve it, sometimes even when I don't know to ask because I don't always know, right? Then we can't have a relationship. We can't have love. And we can't have church. Verse 8. See, preaching out of you, it's easy. It's just too easy. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and all insight. Insight means he knew you and he meant to do this. Wisdom means he knows what he's doing. Do you ever feel like God made a mistake in loving you? I know, we're all so perfect. We never feel like that. We're always like, man, God, you did a good thing saving me because I'm a pretty good person, right? I mean, luckily, I very rarely sin, and when I do, it's just very tiny sins that are easily forgivable by anybody, and we can just move on with our life. Or do some of us sometimes think, I don't know why, Lord. This is like the 37,000th time I've committed the same sin. I can't seem to get out of this stupid thing. I can't seem to control my mouth. I can't seem to control my actions. I always seem to be going around the wheel. It just seems to happen this way, that I'm always back in that same place, God. Why? Why? God had wisdom and insight and knew you and knew that calling you was a good thing to do. Never doubt that for a second. I don't care how many times you mess up. I don't care how many times you fall down. God meant to choose you. God meant to choose you. Verse 9 says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose for which he set forth in Christ. God's will was not meant to remain mysterious. God's will feels mysterious because we get a whole lot of people throwing a whole lot of stuff and throwing God's will in the mix, right? I've heard people say, well, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to, and I knew in my heart they wanted to, right? And maybe they heard from God, maybe they didn't, but they were going to do what they were going to do anyway. Anyone? What? No, just kidding. But God's will is not meant to remain mysterious. It feels mysterious sometimes. It feels like it's hard to find. It feels like you don't know how to get there. I'm going to give you the secret to finding God's will. Are you ready for it? Because this is something he's taught me very recently, that if you live holy and listen for the Holy Spirit, he generally will take care of everything. If you strive for holiness, if you are trying to take sin out of your life and be more like Christ every day, if you are moving constantly towards the higher call of God and you are listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit and His direction in what you do, do you know He kind of makes everything else fit where it's supposed to fit? He puts pieces in place, things that you didn't even think about, things that just kind of fall in, and all of a sudden God's will is revealed and destiny becomes what it's supposed to be because we're just striving for holiness and we're listening for the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's all there is to walking in Christ. And I know it seems like it would be more complicated, doesn't it? It 
set forth in Christ. He showed us who he wants to be by setting the example. We are meant to be healers and prophets and teachers and redeemers and sons and daughters of God, but we're walking around like orphans. A lot of people don't hear from God or don't know what God's will is because they close their eyes and then claim to be blind. Oh, that's the mean part of the sermon. I know, you got to be nice to people on holidays. You could have visitors here, right? But we do. We close our ears and eyes to God's will and then claim we can't find it because it's something he wants us to do that we don't want to do. It's easy for me to hear God's will when it's something that I already wanted to do. If God said, David, it's my will that you go to Culver's and have the roast beef and mashed potatoes and you have some cheese curds on the side, that's easy for me to hear. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. I'm on my way. Let's go right? But if God says to me, hey, David, your mom's a diabetic, and if you don't take off about 50 pounds, you're going to see me a lot earlier than you planned on. That's harder for me to hear. That's harder for me to take into my spirit. That's harder for me to listen to, isn't it? And then I'll be like, oh, God, I didn't know that was your will for me to eat better. That doesn't sound like God's will. God's will is for me to win nations, to pull in the lost, to call down thunder, and also probably to eat less sugar, right? Because if you strive for holiness and listen for the Holy Spirit, he will work out your destiny. We keep trying to work out our destiny and figure out where God wants us. We're so obsessed with what the ultimate destination, with what the now destination is, that we forget about the ultimate destination. We get so obsessed about knowing what's going to happen tomorrow that we forget that no matter what happens tomorrow, that there is a God who is going to redeem us from whatever situation comes up, that he's got glory to glory for us to move from, that he's got greater plans for us than we have plans for ourselves, but we get obsessed because we don't know what we're going to do. That's okay. You can clap, Mona. Thank you. Mona's got my back. Verse 10. We're going we to close. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to, uni- to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's end game is always unity. <laughs> unity was the first sermon I preached here. It was the first five sermons I preached here, I think, were unity, weren't they? Luckily, we've attained that. We're all united in Christ now. There's absolutely no division in our church whatsoever. We are brothers and sisters completely aware of one another's needs, meeting those needs even before the other person asks for help because that's how aware we, well, you know, we got a little work, right? We got a little work, but you know the end game is always unity. The whole purpose of love is unity, right? (laughs) I don't know the mind of God, but I have a few hints. Because here's the thing about God that I do know is that he wants to talk to us. He wanted to talk to us so bad that he wrapped himself in flesh, let that flesh be abused and hung on a cross just for the chance to walk among us and to redeem us to him. That's how bad he wants to speak to us. That's why I know when people say, I don't know what God's will is for my life or I don't know where I'm supposed to be or what my calling is, that I can almost guarantee the problem is not that God isn't speaking to their heart. I can almost guarantee you that the problem isn't that God's voice is not coming down and searching them out, that the Holy Spirit isn't trying to draw them to him, that it's almost always on the other side. It's almost always that we don't know how to listen. We don't know how to be loved. We don't know how to fall into his arms because we've been taught for so long that to be strong is to be independent, is to be this fortress on an island by ourselves, self-sufficient, and I don't need anybody for anything at any time. And it's a lie, right? 
There's, there's none of us that didn't get here without somebody helping us in some way. I mean, if nothing else, you drove a car made by somebody else, or some of you made the car that everybody else drove to get here, right? Got a few Chrysler people. Go to verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We are kings dressed like paupers. I like the saying that somebody said, dress for the job you want, and so somebody else came to work the next day dressed as Batman, right? Because <laughs> that, was, that was the job they wanted. Did you know that sometimes as a Christian, you need to start walking in the calling that you want to walk in and let God work out the rest of it? Sometimes you just need to move towards where you know you want to be and the Lord wants you to be and let everything kind of... We Nobody ever gets where they're supposed to be in Christ or in anything without at some point taking a jump, taking a leap. Oh, I scared you guys. I'm down here now, right? Um, nobody ever gets there without at some point stepping out of what they know into the unknown. No one ever gets there by holding onto the rails. Nobody learns to roller skate by holding the rails. At some point, you got to let go and push off, right? At some point, you're, anybody else walk the rink a couple times, you know, on the side? Nobody? Does roller skate, do they still do that nowadays? Do kids roller skate? Okay. I saw somebody put on Facebook that they were rollerblading, and I looked down, and they had roller skates on their feet, and I'm like, don't try and make it sound cool. You're roller skating. <laughs> but you're not going to get anywhere that you want to be unless at some point you don't let go of the rail and see if you can stand, right? Amen? Verse 12, so Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I mean, I've missed this. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So we who were the first to hope in Christ, sometimes hope is all you carry, but hope is your undeniable inheritance. Hope is the one thing that no one can ever take out of your hand. When you have hope in Christ, when you have experienced the presence of God, when you know what the Lord can do for you, he puts something into you that nobody can take away. And you know the world can take away a lot of stuff. They could take away your house. They could take away your car. Sometimes they can take away your family and your friends. But you know what? They can't ever take away that hope you have in Jesus Christ where he says in his word that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Do you know that there is absolutely nothing the world can do because he says that if, I'm, if you're in my hand and no one can pluck you out of my hand, did you know there is something about the hope that he puts in your heart that once you finally wrap yourself around that, once you finally get your mind to that place where you understand that you were loved without condition, you were loved without exception, that you are saved by the grace and the blood of a Jesus who hung on the cross for you. Do you know that there is something undeniable inside of you that can no longer be taken out of you? I keep stopping before we get going. We're just going to go here in a second, though. We're almost, we're almost there. Verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
You were sealed, you were imprinted, you were touched, you were marked. When you were sealed in the ancient world, you guys probably know this, right? They'd roll up a piece of paper, they'd put wax on the paper, and they'd have an imprint on their ring, or they'd have an imprint on a stamp, and they would stamp that on the wax so that nothing, if that seal was broken, it would be, it would be you know, um, if you were sending a letter to somebody, you could know that they hadn't read it. You would know whose letter that was because that person put their seal on that letter. Uh, I've talked about this many times, that in the Old Testament theology, if you were an object in the temple and you came into contact with something that was not holy, what you came into contact with was holy. Meaning, for instance, you had utensils inside the tabernacle or inside the temple. And if you had your ordinary old fork and your ordinary old fork touched that tabernacle utensil, all of a sudden you couldn't just use that fork for dinner anymore. It became a holy object, right? Because there was a contact, the coming, there, was a, there was a principle that coming into contact with something holy made the object holy. That's a long way of saying, if you have come into contact with Christ, if your life has been touched by Jesus, then he makes you holy by contact, and he ruins you for common use. And a lot of times we go back out into the world and try to resume our own sort of common use. We try to go back to being like we were before that, and we find out that there's something that being around God has just absolutely ruined us for that. That we can't go back and just be like everyone else. We can't enjoy the things they enjoy anymore or go to the places we used to go because there's something holy and something sacred about us that something has changed because we came into contact with something so unspeakably holy that when Isaiah said, I'm just a man of unclean lips, just put the coal to my lips and and purify me with fire, Lord, because I can't even look upon the glory that is before me. And once you come into contact with something like that, you're ruined. You can't go back and be like that again. It makes us mad sometimes when you can't sin like you used to. Tim's one of my radically say, we, 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 we came from some bad stuff. And you know you can't go back. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Alcohol doesn't taste the same, right? The lifestyle we had before doesn't feel the same way. It doesn't fire off the pleasure centers in your brain anymore. Something about that has changed because we came into contact with something holy. It just absolutely ruined us for all that. All of a sudden, your eyes are open and the scales are falling off, and you realize that the world is just a lot of people trying to keep themselves entertained and distracted from what's to come because they know they're not in the right place. They know they deserve the judgment of God and they don't know what to do about it. Now, what are we going to do to help them? If the scales have fallen off our eyes, if the Lord has changed us, if we have become something new, then how in the next year are you going to go to that person who's still lost in that darkness and they're going to tell you, and let me tell you, I know this. Nobody knows what a liar I was before I came to Christ more than I do. And I would have told you I'm fine. Man, I had people asking me to teach Sunday school and I was lost. But I knew a lot of the word, and I could convince a lot of people that I was okay. But there was something inside of me that was just wrong, and it finally took the Holy Spirit dividing that out. It took God putting people in my life who wouldn't put up with excuses and wouldn't put up with lies and who would see through things and say, you know what, you're not where you're supposed to be, but I'm going to pray for you till you are. Did you know there were people when I was lost and dying in sin that wouldn't give up praying for me, that wouldn't give up interceding for me, that kept going through until finally the Lord broke through all the deception I put around me. And do you know that you've just gone to Christmas with people that have surrounded themselves with deception to make themselves believe that they're okay when inside they're dying? Do you know you've ate dinner with them? You've driven in their cars, you've worked beside them, and they've tried to convince you that it's okay and that my life is fine because they don't know how to be loved. 
Can you show them how to be loved? Can you show them what Christ did inside of you? Can you say, look what happened to me? I've been changed because of him. I feel like if I, if I make it to verse 14, James is going to be disappointed. But, James, I am five minutes over where I wanted to be. If I set a time for myself, I think the Lord just snickers. It's like, go for it, David. Verse 14, it says, The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That while you were yet on the auction block, he bought you at your worst with no value and no inherent worth. Deuteronomy 14.1. Let's go there real quick. I'm going to close with this. He said, not in jest. God's given Israel all kinds of rules and stuff they've got to do. You've got to have four tassels on your cloak. You've got to only eat manna for one day and don't store it for... All these sorts of different things. But the reason he's doing this, he reveals it here in verse 2. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. It's the first day of a new year. For some people that doesn't mean anything. For others, you look back at the year, everything just seemed to happen to you. It just seemed so random. It just seemed like every time you turned around, there was something else bad going on. God is calling to you. Oh, God is calling. You came here and chose to be in the Lord's house on the first day of the new year. Some of you were dragged along. I know. I married a wife who had to drag me to church a time or two. But you're here because you were meant to be here. And I know it seems like circumstance, and it seems like happenstance, and it seems like an accident, but you were meant to be here. But you've been on the mind of God. He's thinking about you. You can look up for just a second. What I want to close with is this. I had a little song running through my head. It was the last song. There it is. Some of you are going to walk in a new anointing this year. Some of you are going to walk through life-changing events.
think about Gloria and all that she's going through. You know, I told her, I said, Gloria, this will kill you or won't kill you. But you know, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We don't fret like those who have no hope. We don't obsess like those who have no hope. We don't have anxiety like those who have no hope. Because hope is our undeniable inheritance. Do you guys have the words for this? If you know it, you can sing it. If you don't, just do this while we take a couple minutes here. This is going to be your first prayer in the house of God in the new year. Make it a good one. Just find a place, bow your head, begin to speak to the Lord, begin to tell Him what's on your mind, what's on your heart, what you want to see. Tell Him what you want to see in this next year. Ask Him what He wants to see in you in this next year. Because this is your chance. This is the first day in a new year in the house of God where he has come to meet with his people. You have his ear. You are on his mind. And he is ready to speak. So just find a place and pray. Stand up. Sit down. Dance around. Whatever you want to do. Just find a place to be in the spirit of God. Take my
everybody's a little quiet. Are you okay with me doing something a little off script? Sharon, don't nod your head just yet. I need you to come up. And Mona, I need you to come up. John. Uh, Lee. I just pick people at random and embarrass them. That's what I... It's in the contract. They said I could do this. Sharon, then John, then Mona, then Lee. I want you guys to pray over this congregation. This is... This is going to be a year of change because God is going to make us bigger and greater and he's going to expand us and enlarge us and he's going to do amazing things in this house. But there are going to be people who are meant to be here who are not going to be here unless one of us goes out and finds them. And I want you to pray a blessing over this house. I want you to pray whatever the Lord puts, you, puts on your heart over this people right now. Go ahead. Father, we come to your courts with thanksgiving and praise first of all. Lord, we acknowledge you as a personal, individual God who we can walk with and give our personal problems to or our personal love. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. Now, Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus, God, to bless these people with a, with a peace that passes all understanding. God, that they would know, that they would know, that they would know who they stand with, that they arise tall, God, in your Holy Spirit that they would walk with you, God, and know when to intercede. And I, I thank you, Father, for each one of them here. And I'm asking you, God, to bless them mighty, God, with meeting their needs, yes, God, to taking their worries, hallelujah, God, in your bosom and holding them tight, that they would not fear, God, yes, that they would arise in a joy, God, and a, and, and a love, God, that you yes, can Jesus, radiate, yes, that they would just radiate from them, that would draw hallelujah. people to you. God, that they would take steps and go out among the people that aren't here and bring those in who are supposed to yes, be here, Jesus. who don't know the way. And Father, we'll love you and we'll thank you and we'll praise you forever because you are a God that hears and answers our prayer and loves us and wants us, God, to have good things, God, in you. I ask you, God, yes, to Jesus. lay on Hallelujah. their hearts Hallelujah. burdens, God, Hallelujah. for other people and that their love would be genuine, God, and not fake, yes, but they Jesus. would walk and, and dedicate dedicate theirself to serving you, God, no matter yes. what your call is. And I'll give you the praise forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, I just ask you now in the name of Jesus, remind everybody here who you are and who Jesus is. You just celebrated the time of Jesus' birthday. Lord, remind everybody here who Jesus really is. The same goes He is always with us. No other life on earth in the billions and trillions of lives who have ever walked this earth have ever affected this, this earth for that one baby that was born yes, Jesus. at this time of year. He grew into a man who only lived 33 years. But no... If we have any doubts at all about the power of our God and the power of Jesus, just remember that everything 
has happened on this earth would be because of him and for him yes, and by Jesus. him. Hallelujah. Nothing Hallelujah. in the history of this Hallelujah. earth has ever surprised him. Hallelujah. We do Hallelujah. not have to worry about what we will say, what we will do, how we will approach somebody. God will take care of it for us. All we have yes, to do Jesus. is trust him and believe in him and remember who he really is. Yes, Jesus. That he is the most powerful person ever to have walked this earth. But yet he was the most gentle and loving person ever yes, to walk Jesus. this earth. And I just Hallelujah. ask you now in the name of Jesus, Father God, to remind each and every one of us as we go forth to show forth who we really serve and how powerful he really is. Precious Heavenly Father, you are our Father. You are Abba. You are Daddy. We can climb up in your lap, Lord, and you hold us tight. You comfort us when we're sick. You comfort us when we're crying. You comfort us when we're lonely. Lord, this is your family. Since you're our Father, we're all brothers and sisters. We thank you for our one awesome brother, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I thank you for each one that's here. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for the love that we show and feel with each other. Lord, I thank you that we can come to each other, that we can call at a moment's notice, and they will pray for us. I thank you that we are a praying church. I thank you that we believe in prayer. I thank you that we see miracles happening. Uh, we just I just ask you that this year, 2017, that the miracles will just... Yes, just pour out of this congregation that the city of Belvedere is going to hear that we are a praying church and that you are a prayer answering God. And we just thank you for each thing that you've done for us in this past year, Lord. You've drawn us close together. You've saved some of us. You've had, some of us have been rededicated. Some of us have drawn closer to you. And we thank you for that. We thank you for Pastor David and for Kristen, Lord. You knew exactly who we needed to be sent to our church. You knew exactly who we needed to follow from here to eternity, Lord. Thank you for the roadmap that you've given him. Thank you for the message that you gave him today. It was so awesome, and I wish every member of my family could hear it. Lord, I want to go out and be a witness. I want to draw my family to you. I want them to, to be united. I want us, when the last day, the last trump comes, I want us to all be in heaven together and just praising you throughout eternity. And I just thank you for this beautiful opportunity that you've given us. Lord, go with us today. 
bless each home that's represented here. Bless each family. And just, just keep us in the palm of your hand. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. And church, let's all stand. Just stretch out your hand. Father God, I pray a blessing on your people, Lord, that this is a year of them being the head and not the tail. Lord, I pray this is a year, Father, they will walk in health, Lord. I pray, Father, in the times when they're not in health, Lord, that you are still there beside them, Father, that you are a great healer, healing over their body every step of the way, Lord. I pray for favor on the lives of your people today, Lord, favor for all the year, God, that you bring them into better jobs, that you bring them into better places of ministry, Lord, that they would prosper as their soul prospers, God, more than that, Lord, that they would be people of character and integrity who would stand and declare the name of the Lord over a lost and dying world, that they would be those who would stand in the way of those headed for destruction, that they would save their wife, their kids, their husbands, their families, Lord, that they would be the ones reaching out, God, and bringing others to you, Lord, that they would walk in a new anointing, Father, where your words and your Holy Spirit would flow out of their mouth and flow out of their hands and flow out of their lives, God, that you would set such a holiness around them, Lord, that other Others would know they have been in your presence when they've been in their presence, God. And I thank you, Lord, that you are one who can seal and keep us to that very day. In Jesus' name. Find someone, shake their hand, say it's been a good year so far.